podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We work really hard to put this show together and hopefully you enjoy it too. So here's the deal. Head over to 1865.football slash flatback and take a look at Flatback 4's range of forest gifts. Buy yourself something nice for Christmas and use the code 1865, that's 1865 at the checkout and you'll get a 10% discount and we'll get a little kickback too. Can't say fairer than that. Our guest today is a man who made 126 league appearances for Forest, scoring five goals. He's a member of the 93-94 promotion-winning team from Division 1 and then went on to play in the team that finished third in the Premier League in 94-95. He also helped Forest reach the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup in 95-96 and we know him best wearing the number seven shirt for the Reds and he was there at the city ground from 1993 until 1997. Welcome to the 1865 Forest Ramble, David Phillips. Hi, good morning, Stephen. Hope you're okay. Yep, we're all good. Are you okay? Yeah, very good. Thank you very much. Obviously, uh, lockdown coming at, at us once again. You know, we're, we're in tier three, so we can't do uh, an awful lot at this moment in time. Uh, I'm still coaching uh, locally uh, with an academy. Um, so we're very fortunate to still be able to do that. Yeah, good stuff. So before we, we go into your Forest career, we'll kind of start at the beginning and kind of the earlier earlier parts of your life in your career. So you also, on top of playing for Forest, played for Plymouth, Man City, Norwich, Lincoln and Stevenage, but you also made 62 appearances for Wales. But what a lot of people don't know is that you were actually born in Germany. So how did you end up representing Wales? Um, the situation being is that, uh, yes, I was born in uh, West Germany uh, and a Royal Air Force uh, base uh, called Wegberg. People don't still understand, you know, which I find is you know, a little bit naive, you know, in this day that uh, thinking that, you know, you're born, born abroad and a British station means that, you know, you could possibly play for Germany or whatever. That was never going to be the case. Uh, if you are born on a Air Force station or an army base or anything like that, it is deemed as being British territory. So there is no issues regarding nationalities whatsoever. Um, the only two nations that I would have been able to play for would have been England or Wales. Uh, my father was Welsh, my mother was English. Um, and so my early life, uh, I spent six months in Germany. Obviously, I can't remember that. So um, <laughs> moved to England for a very short period of time before being brought up in Wales. I lived in uh, Bridgend or Pennebont. Um, lived in uh, St. Athen as well, the Royal Air Force Station there at East Camp. And I was brought up in, in, in Wales, uh, as I said, in Bridgend, went to school in Clangowith uh, School. Um, it was a school where it was mainly all Welsh. Uh, we didn't really regard the English as being favourites. Um, football was banned. Everything was rugby. And uh, so my early part of life was following Bridgend Rugby Football Club. Um, apart from obviously, you know, football matches here, there and everywhere. But I was never really a fan of a football team uh, until really, you know, at nine years of age, I moved to Holland uh, again with uh, with NATO, etc. And I was uh, attached to a club near Rhoda JC of Kirkrada, uh, KBC of Anya. Um, and I was the only British player to, to play for a Dutch side at that given time. So my early part of my career was... You know, being born in Germany, you know, being brought up in Wales, moving to Holland, 
and uh, it was an exciting period of time, you know, being in the Royal Air Force. Yeah, so how did you, after spending time in Holland, end up at Plymouth Argyle? Well, my father got uh, stationed back down to Royal Air Force in Morgan, down in, uh, in, in Cornwall. Uh, we lived in Padstow for a short period of time um, in uh, Royal Air Force quarters before my father bought a property uh, in St Agnes. Uh, I then went to school in Truro. Um, the side I played for was actually back in Wadebridge. And uh, in our side, we must have had something like eight Cornwall County players and three West Cornwall players. So we had a, a good side. I think one year I scored something in a, in a region of about 55 goals. Um, and then when it came to Plymouth Argyle, um, it was a, I was the last apprentice to be taken. Uh, I was the ninth to be taken. And uh, I've got to thank Mickey Hill for that. Unfortunately, he's no longer here. And, and it was his uh, decisiveness to say to the manager, look, you know, I think we should take him. But prior to that, there's already three of my um, uh, players who I played with at county level and also at Wadebridge. They were also apprentices as well. And at Plymouth, you had quite a memorable run to the FA Cup semi-finals in 1984. I mean, what was that like for a third division club at the time to, to get so far and so near to, to the final at Wembley? Yeah, we, we, we did really, really well. I'm saying the league performances weren't particularly good. Uh, but the run, as you said, in, in 1984 was was a great one. Going to, to West Bromwich Albion, I think Johnny Giles had just taken over the, the helm there at West Brom. And everyone was thinking, like, you know, this is going to be great. But we, we, we turned them over. We went to Derby. Derby came to us. They drew down at our place. Went back to the baseball ground. And Andy Rogers scored from a, a corner, corner direct. Um, always good to score at the baseball ground, you know, and beat those. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, it was it was a great period of time where we we, we got to the semi-finals. Uh, we played Watford, and unfortunately, we, we lost one nil in the semi-finals. And uh, we did have a good opportunity right near the death to equalise. And um, it's a shame that didn't go in, but it gave me a, a good opportunity to to see what life was like. But in that period of time. I've also, um, you know, been contacted by Wales um, to to go and join them in the in the full international squad, and also I was getting married that year, so 1984 was a, a pleasant year. Yeah, I mean, you're, after Plymouth, you also went on to Manchester City, but in terms of FA Cup, you did get the success a few years later at Coventry and that incredible game against Spurs in in 1987. Uh, what what was that game like to play in it. I, it was on TV a couple of months ago during the first lockdown, and watching it back, it's, it, it looked like a great game to be part of. Well, actually, that that day was a, a really important day for me um, because they showed on TV on different stations two very important games in my life. Um, the first game was actually uh, shown was the 1984 Wales one England nil where I made my debut alongside Mark Hughes uh, at the race course. And uh, as I said, we, we won that game 1-0. Um, and then within a couple of hours later, the 1987 Cup final was being shown. So I'll tell you, what, I was absolutely ging-gang-goolied having to travel from, <laughs> from Wrexham down to, to Wembley to play two games in one day. I don't know how I did it. <laughs> yeah. I, I watched that game as well. And what struck me, the 87 Cup final, it's, it's the first cup final that I remember sitting down and actually watching as a kid 
Um, but watching it back during the lockdown uh, when they repeated it, what struck me, there, was, there were no defensive midfield players on the pitch. It was it's so open, both Spurs and Coventry, just all out attack. Was that common then? Did, was there such a thing as a defensive midfielder? No, not really. I'm saying like a, a lot of the a lot of the systems were, you know, a basic four four two. And when you look at the the final itself, you you had players like Ardiles, you had you know Glenn Hoddle, we had Mickey Jinn, and uh, people like that. You know, Dave Bennett on the right hand side, Nick Pickering down the left hand side. You know, they had Steve Hodge, uh, Chris Waddle. So we had uh, midfielders in that in that game who wanted to get forward all the time. And it was, a, you know, a cutthroat game. It was a, you know, phenomenal for us. As, you know, obviously, winning to get the game. I still remember that um, before we actually went out, John Sillett turned around to us and said, "Look, you know, I want you to go out there and enjoy yourself." Well, we did for two minutes until Clive Allen scored. Um, <laughs> that was his forty-ninth goal of the season as well. You know, phenomenal considering that. Amazing. You know, they they did play a slightly different shape because Clive did uh, a lonesome roll up front. Um, you know, great for Clive to get his 49th goal. Thankfully, he didn't get his 50th. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was quite an open game with David Pleat, Spurs manager. But it, but Coventry, even though they were probably on the day considered the underdogs, more than took the game to Spurs. And obviously that, that, in, that famous goal of Keith Alchins. Did you have a good view of that one, the diving header? Oh yeah, a great view of it. You know, I think uh, you, you see in some pictures. I actually have a little jump as Keith's going to uh, go and head it. But um, people forget that uh, we, we were never overawed by uh, Tottenham, uh, and during the, the course of the season, we'd actually beaten Tottenham as well. So you know, there were no airs and graces. But as you saw when you, you looked at that um, that documentary, you look at the Spurs bus at the back of it, and they were all like seemed a little bit cocky, and you know, like you know, we're just going to turn up, and this is going to happen, and that's going to happen. Um, you know, laughing and joking, blah blah blah. I'm saying, if you look at the uh, the game itself as well, uh, they did all didn't have the same shirts. Some had sponsored shirts, some had unsponsored shirts, uh, and David David even admitted that you know they got it completely wrong on on the, on the day. Uh, and like you said, we we took the game to them. Yes, unfortunate uh, how the how the goal you know occurred for for us to win you know from Gary Mabbott. Um but you know we're not going to complain. You know, winning that uh, Wembley Cup final was, you know, they all turned around and a lot of people turn around and say it's one of the best cup finals ever. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned there as well the uh, your debut for Wales in, in 1984. I suppose playing England, it's a special occasion anyway, but first game for Wales and you beat England. Uh, that must have been quite an experience. It was, um, you know, having represented uh, Wales at under 18 and under 21 level. And uh, being called up by Mike England to come and join the main squad, I wasn't, you know, looking to to be playing or making my debut. And uh, we used to stay at the uh, the Bryn Howell Hotel in Llangollen, uh, and uh, Mike just collared me and he said, "Look, you know, you're going to make your debut." And you know, making his debut against England, uh, you know, arch enemies as such, uh, was just a, a dream come true. And when I look at the, the the players that we had, you know, people like the, the Ian Rushes, Neville Southall, Kevin Kevin Ratcliffe, and Mickey Thomas, Robbie James, you know, we, we had some really good players back in those days, in that day. You know, I always turned around and said, like, um, I was very fortunate to make my debut with a legend who was Mark Hughes, and I also retired with a legend which was Ian Rush, and uh, we we lost the game in Turney to Italy three 0 and after that, Russia and I both retired. So, 
you know, I came into the game with a legend and I left with a legend in respect to the, uh, the Welsh career. I was going to say, it's just such a shame with all those players, you never managed to get to a tournament. Have you ever been able to forgive Paul Bowden for that penalty miss? Absolutely not. Absolutely. No. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, Paul Bowden was our penalty taker. People turn around and say, well, you know, why didn't Rushy take it or Sparky take it? Uh, Bods has already scored penalties during the, uh, the campaign anyway. And, and it's just one of those things. It happened. Um, you know, I've got no blame for him whatsoever. You know, we, we lost the first game against Romania 5-0 over in Bucharest. And we had a massive response to get ourselves into that position. Unfortunately, we didn't make it. You know, I look back on that day as well and, and think, and, and I don't know if you can remember this, but a flare got fired from one side of the stadium to another and actually killed a spectator. I do, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it wasn't uh, you know, a great day all round. Uh, and my thoughts obviously went with the family, you know, for the people, you know, personally who, who died. But, you know, we, we came close. We came close on a, on a couple of occasions. But as you see with Wales, you know, just recently over the last couple of campaigns, going to the Euro semi-finals, et cetera, et cetera, you know, they have done really, really well. But we had a great group of uh, players, but unfortunately we weren't able to just get over that finish line. Yeah. It, it was tougher in those days as well. The, the tournaments were small, right? It was, it was a much tougher process to actually qualify for the tournament. So I think people looking back on it might, might misjudge you, uh, might judge you harshly for it. But you have to remember, there was only sort of eight teams at the Euros and uh, I think 16 at the World Cup altogether. So it was, it was a much harder thing to, to do in those days. Yeah, it, it was, you know, and, and hindsight's always a wonderful thing. And you, you look at today and, and you're talking about 32 sides representing in the World Cup or the, you know, European Championships, as they were, you know. Um, so I'm sure if it would have gone down to second place or whatever, then I'm sure that we would have been going off to the World Cup over in, uh, you know, the USA in 84, or sorry, 92, 96. Um, and uh, we, we, we would have done that. But as you're right to say, um, it is very limited as to how many were in the World Cup, how many were being represented by, you know, Europe, etc., um, but like I said, hindsight's a wonderful thing. If that was nowadays, we would have qualified. Yeah. I just want one last question on Wales. H- how did it feel when, when Ryan Giggs used to pull out of all those uh, friendlies? Or were, did the boys rib him after when he did come back to the games? Or did he sort of talk behind his back and say, oh, Giggsy, why don't, why don't you come? Or did you phone him up and say, come on, Giggsy, we need you. Why don't you come? What, what, was, it, what was it the situation like there? I think you better ask Sir Alex Ferguson, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, you're not going to argue with Sir Alex. Um, yeah. If Sir Alex says you're not going, you're not going. You know, and I, I know there were, there were times during my career, uh, like at Norwich, for example, where Dave Stringer or Mike Walker would say, look, you know, I don't want you to go. We've got a very important game coming up. But I'm saying, look, you know, I want to go and represent my country. You know, I'm not going to have that many opportunities to do it. But thankfully... I was very blessed and, you know, I've managed to represent Wales 62 times. But, yeah, I would say it was a little bit frustrating with, with, with Brian um, not turning up now and again. But I think that's all down to Sir Alex Ferguson. That's down to Manchester United. Um, so what else can you do? You can't say anything, can you? No. <laughs> no. Uh, coming back to your, your club career and just before we go into you joining Forest, did you have any experiences of say Brian Clough and the Forest team before that during did you come up against them have any interesting stories to tell about playing Forest but you know before you joined them uh yeah I'm saying uh there was there was a couple of occasions where I, I jumped into uh, or bumped into Piercy uh we would always like you know be um 
slightly controversial. I'm sure they get pulled up in today's society. Um, you know, a bit of banter here, there and everywhere. But, uh, you know, certainly a, a player that I highly respected. Um, in respect to Brian Clough, I didn't really meet him too many times. The first time I ever met him um, was when Nottingham Forest came down to Plymouth Argyle to play them in a, in a friendly. And the European Cup came down at the same time. And, you know, he gave it to the apprentices to, to hold it, to have a look at it, to kiss it and whatever. So that was the first time I ever met Brian Clough. Um, you know, and yes, I have met him, you know, during games and whatever and seen him. And I still remember one game we played uh, when I was representing Norwich City and we came to the city ground. And we got there virtually the same time as the Nottingham Forest coach. I was thinking, you know, why, why are they on a coach? And they all came off the coach with duty-free bags. Mm. And we think, well, you know, <laughs> what, what's going on here? And that, I think they'd been over to the Canary Islands or something along those lines and got back either the night before or the early morning. And um, as I was walking along the corridor, Mr. Clough, I think, has had a, a very early tipple and uh, he bumped into me, of which he was very, very apologetic. And um, we went into the change rooms and we said, hey, th- these guys have been on holiday. It looks as if they've just come back from a, like a, a trip, like, you know, a booze trip type, type of thing. I think we beat you 5-0. Uh, <laughs> so that tells me something, you know, did happen, you know. But how do you, how do you come off a coach with duty-free bags? You know, a little bit strange, that one. But listen, we're, 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 uh, we'll take the 5-0 victory, but... Um, you know, I had some good tussles, I, I will say, um, when playing against Nottingham Forest. And it was a club that, you know, I always respected. Um, obviously, seeing the, you know, the European Cups that they won, you know, the couple of occasions, everyone remembers Trevor Francis, etc. Um, and, um, you know, just, just going to the city ground was always a, a great place to go to anyway. Great atmosphere. Yeah, so we'll, we'll come on now to your Forest career. You, you joined the club in the summer of 1993. Now, 92-93, the season before, first season of the Premier League, you're in the Norwich team, great team that goes on to finish third in the league and Forest that same year, Brian Clough's final season, that they end up relegated. How did it come about that you left Norwich and, and joined Forest? Well, it, it stemmed really from the fact that the uh, the contract, because my contract was, was up and um, the contract they offered me in December was not a great contract. And I was a little bit disappointed to the fact that, you know, things were going particularly well. Uh, we, again, revisited it again in March. You know, I think that year I might have scored about nine, ten goals that season. Scored a few, like, you know, tap-ins from about 25, 30 yards. Um, but the contract was was never going to be a, a great contract. You know, plus I was like uh, 29 stroke 30 years of age. And they most probably thought, well, this is an opportunity. You know, we've had a real good season this year. The first one in the Premiership. Maybe it might be an opportunity to, uh, you know, cash in on it. And um, when I found out uh, Nottingham Forest had gone through the PFA, because I never really had an agent as such. And uh, they came through to me and said, look, you know, Nottingham Forest are interested. What, What are your thoughts? I said, well, yeah, of course, I'd love love to speak to them. You know, um, I wasn't going to sign the contract. The first team had been away on uh, pre-season training over in the United States. And I was left to train with the kids. At least Michael Walker gave me an opportunity to, to still continue training during pre-season. You know, he came back and, um, you know, he had glowing references 
you know, about me, um, saying like, you know, thanks very much. There would have been other players who just like, you know, fucked it off and, you know, you know, diss this and diss that. He said, but, you know, I'm, I'm being led to believe that, you know, you've been a, a, you know, a model pro. And I said, well, that's the way that I'll, I will always be. Um, and he was still like, you know, what are you going to I said, well, look, at the end of the day, Nottingham Forest were interested in me. Uh, it went to a, a tribunal and um, I ended up coming to Nottingham Forest. So there were no airs and graces there. You know, yes, finishing third in the Premiership, going on to represent Norwich at the, in the UEFA next year would have been great. However, you know, how can you turn down, you know, Nottingham Forest when they came in, the contract was right, the, 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 the terms were right. Um, and I have to admit that when I first met Frank Clark, you know, he sold the club to me. And he was a person that I've always respected from that day to this day. What What was Frank Clark like um, as a manager? Is it was he was he a, a, tra- a tracksuit manager, training ground manager, or did he delegate a lot of that to uh, the other coaches? Yeah, he, de- he delegated most of the stuff to the the other coaches. You know, very rarely did you you see Frank put on a session. Uh, Liam O'Kane did, did all that stuff and you know the other coaches who were involved we still did um, a reasonable amount of uh, five sides, which you know it was what Brian Clough used to do with his Nottingham Forest team anyway so there was a lot of work being done on five sides. Um, yes Stan Collimore came in um, you know which is a, a great asset from Southend and uh, you know, yeah, you used to go through all your tactics and this, that, and whatever. But a lot of the time, you know, you end up doing five sides, eight sides, nine sides, etc. But then when it came to maybe the uh, the Thursday onwards, that was the time where really you you were focusing on your game for the Saturday. You know, you're talking about them tactically. You know what they were doing, set pieces, how we're going to you know alleviate any sort of issues, uh, what we were going to do on the counter attack, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but you know, Frank would come in on on a Friday. Um, you know, Frank was a great motivator. Um, you know, he, he left, as I said, all the, the coaching to the coaching staff. Um, and, you know, he used to come in and just like, you know, go and deliver what we needed to hear. And what we needed to hear was that the fact that, you know, he thought that we were great players. We were a great squad. He used to make us feel, you know, really welcome. Um, and it was just one of those that we we, we were a tight-knit bunch. Cool. Um, yeah, I think you joined Boris, memory serves me, after the season already started. And, and Boris had quite poor starts that season. Um, what, what was it like? Was there, was there a bit of a hangover there from the previous relegation, the Brian Clough era? Or was yeah, I think it was. Yeah, when I first came to the, uh, the club, you know, Frank, Frank turned around to me and he said, look, you know, just bide your time. I, I, I wasn't involved in the first three or four games. Um, and I still remember we were at Barnsley and thinking, well, you know, surely I should be playing now. Um, but Frank wanted me to, you know, sit down, have a look at the, the style of play, the passages of play, you know, the tactics involved, etc. Um, and then when he put me in, you know, the rest is history. Um, you know, he wanted me really to, to come in, sit in that midfield as a defensive midfielder. Um, you know, every time that uh, Piercy went down one side, or, you know, Des Little or Colin Cooper, whoever's playing right back or left back, um, was to go and shuttle across there, you know, to, to make sure that that area was always taken care of. Um, didn't really want me to go over the halfway line as such. Uh, hence, that's why I think I only scored about five goals. But, um, you know, that's a little bit disappointing thing because I always like to get myself into, you know, shooting <laughs> ranges, whether it be, you know, 30, 35 yards. Um, but, you know, I was there to do a job. 
Uh, Frank asked me to do the job and whatever Frank asked me to do, you know, I'll, I'll go and do it for him anyway. Yes, yeah, so that's interesting because that was one of the questions I had because you came as a right winger, famously as a right winger. Um, so it was actually pre-planned that you went into the central midfield role. It didn't just happen by accident. No, well, it was actually actually as a left winger. Uh, oh, left winger, that's right. No problem. Obviously, looking in a mirror deep. So it's been it's like, been a long it's been a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey! You think about how old I am. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I I played at Norwich uh, as a out and out left sided midfielder. Um, you know, I did play right back. I did play at left back. You know, I had a good association with Mark Bowen. Uh, you know, Welsh colleague. He played left back. I played wide left, and you know, we could interchange, etc. You know, throughout my career, I've played in every position on the park. You know, I've been in goal twice. Uh, through injuries and, and whatever, and a goalkeeper getting sent off. I played right midfield, I played sweeper, I played all over the park. Uh, and when I first came to uh, to Nottingham Forest as a wide left, the first person that I really bumped into was, was Kingsley Black. And, uh, you know, I started ch- you know chatting to Kingsley and he, he said, well, you know, my, my time's up. I said, what do you mean your time's up? He said, well, you're here to replace me. You know, and he'd only came, I think, the year or so before for one and a half million from Luton. And uh, I just said, KB, I said, listen, mate, I said, I am not here to replace you. I'm here to come and play central midfield. And with that, you know, his eyes lit up. We've been friends ever since. And, uh, you know, real nice guy. But, um, you know, he thought I came in to to take his position. But no, no, it was was to come and play central midfield. So, you know, adapting myself from, you know, wide left to, to central. You know, at the end of the day, I made my Welsh career playing as a right back. You know, I played as a sweeper, a front sweeper, uh, Plymouth Argyle, one of the first games I ever played. Uh, my debut, I actually played as a striker, scored on my debut against uh, Sheffield United in the 10th of October 1981. Still remember this, it was quite good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I still remember every goal I scored in the playground. <laughs> <laughs> What's a playground? Um, but um, so, so, you know, I've, I've been used to playing in, in different positions all, all, all over my career, you know, so um, moving into central midfield wasn't an issue. You know, I played there for, for quite a few times, you know, in the, in, in the Welsh squad, albeit that more times I played as a right back. You had a reputation before you joined Forrest as somebody who could hit a screamer from long range. And you also did stick a few in the top corner during your time at Forest from distance. The ones that stand out to me are the Bolton and mm. Wimbledon goals. Which one would you say was your favourite Forest goal? Uh, the Bolton one. Um, just pure on the basis that, you know, I was actually talking to somebody the other day and uh, I think Ron Atkinson was um, doing the commentary. And uh, he said, oh, you know, when you score a goal today, like, give us the thumbs up. Um, so it's noted that, you know, when I scored the goal against Bolton, I actually put my thumbs up to, to Ron Atkinson. Um, but it was one of those that uh, when you when you listen to the commentary, um, the commentator turned around and said, well, you know, maybe the goalkeeper could have done a bit better. And I thought, <laughs> actually, Never. no, absolutely no chance whatsoever. But, uh, you know, I, I've been very lucky that I've scored. Um, some decent long range goals, you know, a lot of them were noted when I was at Manchester City. Um, my favourite goal was uh, a goal that I scored against Carlisle. And uh, I scored it after about three or four minutes. A corner came in, it got taken out and I hit it on the half volley from about 35 yards. And the trajectory was just like, you know, it started off nice and low and ended up in the top left-hand corner as we looked. We actually lost that game 2-1 to, um, to Carlisle. Malcolm Possett scored twice. 
And uh, when we got into the changing rooms afterwards, Billy McNeil had a right good go at me. And I said, well, what are you having a go at me for? And he said, it's because you score too early. And I thought, really? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so it was just like, you know, I say not fun and games because like, you know, he wasn't particularly happy. But, um, you know, I've, I've been very lucky to, to, to score quite a few goals, mainly outside of the 18-yard box. Um, there's been a few that I've scored in, inside, you know, there's been one or two with, with headers as well. Um, but um, more famed for shooting outside, you know, whether it be left foot or right foot, you know, that was quite versatile with both sides. Um, but certainly with, with Nottingham Forest, the Bolton goal was, was my favourite. Yeah, because I think the week before as well, you'd scored on your home debut against Stoke. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a, a, a knack I had, to be honest with you. You know, I, I made my debut for, for Plymouth. I scored, scored in that game. I don't think I did it for uh, Manchester City. I did it for Coventry. I did it for Norwich. And also did it for Nottingham Forest, you know, which is um, you know quite bizarre, really. But um, gets gets the crowd on your side, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah definitely, yeah. So in that ninety three ninety four season, Forest, as we mentioned, they got off to to a bit of a slow start, and at one point they were as low as sixteenth. What was if there was a turning point in that season? What was it? Um. Maybe me coming into the side. Yeah, I was exactly about <laughs> to say that, David. Is that's exactly what I was going to say. Not, not like you know, uh, you know, giving itself a tap on the shoulder, but you know, maybe, maybe coming in and, and giving a bit of the experience, you know, that I had, you know, whether it be internationals, etc. But, but listen, look at look at the Nottingham Forest side from those days. You know, there were some real class players in in that side, and sometimes, like you know, um, when you have a hangover, it takes a little bit of time to to get over it. You know, to to get into what a manager wants you to to go and do. And, um, you know, eventually everyone started listening to, to Frank, etc. And, um, you know, the rest is, is history, isn't it, to say? You played with the, the five-man midfield then, with, with stand-up from the majority of that season. It, it was still quite rare, wasn't it, to, to have that sort of shape? It was still quite 4-4-2, still dominated. And, and I think it took a lot of teams by surprise. Well, I'm saying when you when you had when you had somebody like Stan who could score goals from any part of the park, you know, he was always going to be one to 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 hold on to type of thing. But you know, you still had Steve Stone out on the right hand side. I'm not going to turn around and say like Woney was like you know the quickest player, but you know he was very articulate. You know, he was a, you know great technically. But he also had two fullbacks who wanted to bomb on. You know, and uh, when you got that, you know, and me doing a holding role. Um, you know, and as I said, I can go over to PSC side or Des Little or Coots or wherever he was playing at right back, left back. Um, it gave us that opportunity of actually overloading in those wide areas. And, and when you have players who had the ability as well to get themselves into the 18-yard box, midfielders and score goals, you know, you t- you t- it's a double bonus, isn't it? You know, um, so we, we had, you know, crosses and shots and all that come from all angles. You know, people haven't got a clue what was happening half the time. Um, but um, as I said, tactically we got it sorted out. Yeah, I mean, but for me, uh, people who listen to the podcast regularly, I always hark back to that team as being the, the perfect team, that the, the one that I always measure all of the Forest teams against in my lifetime because it, it was just every single position was so strong. Every player knew their job from even people who weren't that well uh, renowned, like Des Little. It was he did an amazing job for two or three years. He was bombing forward, defending. There's great partnerships across the pitch with the right wing with Stoney with and Des and on the left with Woney and Stuart Pearce and 
central midfield and, and then it was just such a great team it just still brings back happy memories whenever you think about it especially especially during the season like this when you're watching Forest and how they're struggling now yeah it's not easy you know when you when you're looking at uh, what's happened with, with Nottingham Forest this year you know I, I did think there was a great opportunity um you know last season Lamucci you know came in and you know I think Covid didn't come out the right time for Nottingham Forest because uh, they were in a, a reasonable position. But having said that, you know, when you go however many games, not winning a game, um, and then coming into the, the new season as such, you know, I wasn't surprised to see Lamucci move. Um, the thing that disappoints me is that how many managers have Nottingham Forest had over the last seven, eight years? They've had far too many. Now, you know, Chris Hewton is a person that I know. Um, you know, I've played against him several times. I've, you know, I've... I've met him outside of the, the game as well. You know, he's a terrific guy, you know, great character. I've got a lot of respect for, for, for Chris Hewton. You know, the times when he's at Newcastle and obviously West Brom and places like that, you know, when he's representing the Republic of Ireland. Um, you know, having a great time when he's at Brighton. I know that he went, I think, was it 14, 15 games towards the back end of the Premiership season where, you know, they didn't win. So eventually Chris, Chris went. I was a little bit surprised because... You know, Brighton, you know, are a side not being disrespectful to them. You know, they are you know, a mid-table side at the best. And, and Chris was giving them, you know, every year was giving them that. Now, with Nottingham Forest, it's going to take a little bit of time to, to get players in. Um, whether, you know, there's going to be enough money for, for Chris to go and, um, you know, put that into new players, I'm not too sure. But uh, I've got a lot of respect for him. And I, I think, you know, you've just got to give him a little bit of time um, I know that start of the season uh, when he came in that he went unbeaten for a few games and he's lost the last three. He drew the last game. Was it was it Watford away? That's right. um, Watford at home, yeah. Difficult game at, at Reading today. I'm not sure when his podcast is going out. Reading are you know are a good side, um, but I, I I wish him well. You know I hope he does really well because you know he deserves it. Not in Forrester that deserve it. Do, do you ever do you watch much of the current team, or do you get back to Nottingham to watch watch Forest play ever? Well, obviously, you know, with, with COVID, you know, like, nobody's been able to see for ages, have they? So uh, yeah. apart from streaming, etc., uh, the game is on lunchtime today. I will watch them today, and um, you know, I, to be honest with you, you know, I, I work in media as well, so I'm out doing games, you know, here and there. Uh, I'm attached to a, an, an academy in, in Warwick. Um, so I don't have a, a shed load of time to continually watch game after game after game. You know, I have a, a lovely wife who is a Spurs supporter. Now, if Spurs were playing all the time, it would be different. But, um, you know, I watch a lot of rugby as well. You know, I watch a lot of rugby from the Southern Hemisphere where I'm a, uh, a Crusaders fan. Um, you know, I've, I've got to go and watch uh, was it Argentina versus Australia, you know, when I finish this podcast. Um, so I have a lot of games to, to try and fit in, plus obviously my, my normal life as well, you know, with my good lady. Um, so I've not had a, a shed load of time to focus, you know, on what, what you're not in front. Even Coventry, for example, you know, Coventry have been on the on the, the streams and been on TV a reasonable amount, but I've just not had a, a lot of time. But, you know, given an opportunity when the crowds start coming back and we have the, the hospitality going around the city ground, you know, I'm hoping that I'll give uh, Mike West a, a phone call and, you know, come to a few games as well, you know. Um, it's always nice to come back to the, the city ground. I'm always being felt, you know, as if I'm you know, really welcomed when I come back. People always remember me uh, and that's always quite nice. Yeah, and I, th- I think just wrapping up that that's 93-94 season, I think it shows in what high esteem you were held. You, you actually won the Player of the Season award that year. 
yeah, I was uh, I was very delighted with that. You know, um, there were some good players that that year. Um, I will say that uh, I don't think Stan was particularly happy that he didn't pick up the award because <laughs> um, when I picked up the award, he, he went out the uh, he, he left the building, uh, <laughs> which was very kind of him, very gracious of him. Um, but uh, to to be honoured with the you know the player of the year award, you know ninety three ninety four in a season where you know things ticked, you know we got promoted. Uh, and it was like, you know, it was great, you know, um, and I'm blessed, you know, that everyone thought, you know, highly of me to, to allow me to have that award. Yeah, and in 94-95 uh, and promotion to the Premier League, what were the, the expectations for the team and amongst the players going into that season? Did you expect to do as well as you did? It's always a difficult one, isn't it? You know, uh when you get promoted and how how things are going to materialise and so on and so forth. You don't know, but it's like you're saying, when, when you have a hangover, it's how you get over the hangover. When you have a momentum, that momentum can carry into the next season, provided nothing has really changed too much. Yes, we brought in a couple of players. You know, I think, Brian, was it Brian Roy came in? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, what a quality player Brian Roy was, you know. Um, and he came in and, you know, I have to say that, Talking about left foot, Piercy had a wonderful left foot, but Brian, you know, was he could do things with that football, you know, great player. Um, but there's always going to be expectations. It doesn't matter what club you're at. When you start the, the, the season and you've had a, I'm saying sometimes you can have a pre-season where things go so, so well. You think you go into the season and think, wait, we're just going to continue. And then all of a sudden you have an absolute dirge of a start and that you can have a, a you know, a poor pre-season. And then all of a sudden, it can like you know kick off. Um, but you know, expectations are always going to be there, irrespective of what club you're involved in, um, to do particularly well. But you know, when things don't happen quickly, people get on your backs, etc. But when things go right, you know, it's a great time. So um, yeah, great. And that team played some brilliant football at times. There's a couple of games from that season that, for me, stand out as some of my favourite Forest games of all time. There's one. Early on, I think it might even be the first home game playing Manchester United at the City Ground live on Sky. And that was a game where Forrest fell behind, but then Stan scored a great solo goal and, and Forrest drew that game 1 1. But there were also a couple more memorable games winning at Spurs 4 1 and then going to Sheffield Wednesday later in the season and putting in probably one of the best performances. Of Forrest was, was that a seven? Was that a seven? That was the yeah, yeah, seven one, yeah. Was, I think you remember that, yeah, seven, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to Snow White, you always remember the seven dwarfs, don't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> what was the but, game uh, was that would you say that was your favourite Forest game that you played in? Well, it's it's it's, it's great when you like, you know, when when you put seven past somebody. Um having said that, I played uh, where Blackburn put seven past us, you know, when it was at Norwich, you know, that was a time where uh, it was the SAS uh who was there. Shearer and Sutton, you know, and uh, I think they had seven attempts. They scored seven goals. And we were like looking around at each other thinking, actually, we didn't play that bad. <laughs> when it was like, you know, if Brian Gunn was in goal and it was like, you know, I don't think he could have touched any of them. But um, yeah, going back to us, you know, going, going to Sheffield Wednesday and, and putting seven past them, um, you know, w- was great. You, know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Man United game, you mentioned the Spurs game. Um, but Hillsborough always had a, you know, a great little place for me. You know, not many times I ever go to Hillsborough and lose a game there. Um, one of the more, more important ones is the, the semi-final of the FA Cup in, you know, 86-87 season. 
you know, we went there and played Leeds. We went behind and, you know, we came back to win that game. Um, but Hillsborough was, was always a, a place where I loved going to play, you know, not the greatest of places, you know, because you, you had a slope on it. Um, but, um, you know, when you're going downhill, it was great. When you're going uphill, it was a little bit of a more of a track. But I think, again, you know, I'm trying to recollect um, the, the goals. I think we scored some great goals in that game as well. Yeah, I think Lars Bohinen, I think, scored an amazing goal. And uh, I think uh, Stuart Pearce scored with a free kick. Yeah. I can't remember. Was it a penalty? Free kick, yeah. And then, it, yeah, it was just every, every, every goal that season seemed to be a worldy goal. I remember the goals at Spurs as well. Even even the winner at Old Trafford, Stan, whacking it in. They, were, they all seemed to be amazing goals. The sun always shined and the goals were all amazing in those days. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and there, there's a player that, um, you know, you just brought to me, you know, Lars Bohinen, you know, Norwegian international, um, you know, what a great player he was. But, um, you know, I was, I was telling somebody the other day about Lars that um, when we were playing at the City Ground one day and, uh, you know, the, the, the weather was slightly adverse, you know, snow was coming down and uh, the referee decided before the game that he wanted to play with an orange football. And, uh, you know, the, the game kicked off, you know, there was snow on the ground, there were still bits of green and we we're playing with an orange football. So, you know where I'm going to come to now is that the ball went to, to Lars Bohina and he, and he completely missed it. And we were all looking and thinking, what, what the hell's going on there? And uh, Frank had to substitute him. And uh, not a lot of people know this, but he was colourblind. Yeah. Oh. So, um, we, we, we didn't know that. Frank didn't know that. And apparently when he was in, in his younger days... He applied for the, uh, the Norwegian Air Force, but failed because he was colourblind. Oh. So um, that was a strange one. But yeah. uh, good fact for a pub quiz. It is, yeah. You know, um, but you know, again, you, you're talking about a player. What a player Lars Bohinen was. Amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing. I remember he scored. It was, I think, it was against Norwich, wasn't he? Direct from the corner that season as well. Well, listen, you know, I, I saw things Lars did and I was thinking, well, how on earth have you done? I can't remember what game it was, but it was at the city ground where he's actually got himself towards the byline and he's flipped the ball from behind him over the defender. Yeah. I don't think we scored from it, but it would have been an unbelievable goal. But, you know, the dexterity that he showed, you know, was, was phenomenal. And I was thinking, yeah. bloody hell, how did you do that? You know, yeah. I couldn't do that. You know, give me your weeks to try and do it. And I would have fallen over <laughs> time <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you talk, talking about your teammates then um you've already sort of mentioned stan uh, there's always been rumors of, of tension in in with stan but i always get the impression that there was a, a great atmosphere in that that team in the dressing room all right and i put to you exhibit a david oh team the team photograph from 19 90- 495 and there's something have I, got, have, going. I, have I got my hand on Colin Cooper's leg yeah what what was going on there how, how did that come about oh, we're just close friends mate we're just close <laughs> friends oh, we, we always used to do silly little things like that I think you know it's just one of those things like you know I had only one side Coop's the other side you know great characters and uh, you know you just have a little mess around don't you but uh, I don't think we got into too much trouble from that I was, I was looking at it and then half the players have got their eyes shut on there as well I was thinking that wouldn't happen today in the Premier League. They don't. They get more photoshopped, and it'd be all very glossy. But is it? Well, I, it, I think I've got to blame, blame the camera, got to blame the cameraman for that because I think he was actually standing where the sun was shining. Oh, okay. so it was slightly amateurish, wasn't it? You know, oh, go on, like you know, open your eyes, we'll take the picture. Why don't you do the other way round? You know, so uh, <laughs> it was all about him and not <laughs> not us. <laughs> 
and in that season, obviously Forest go on to finish third, and I don't think a Premier League a promoter team anyway has come close to to achieving that since. What was it that just made that team tick and made them so good that for the large part they were in with a shout at the title? Yeah, well, I'm, like you say, you, you look at the side. You just have to look at the side that we had. You have to look at the uh, the squad that we had. You know, when you look at the squad, it wasn't a massive squad. Um, you know, I think I was talking to somebody the other day and he was saying that uh, during the course of 93-94 and then when we got to the semi-final, uh, sorry, the quarter-finals against Bayern, there were still eight players in that side that we played against Bayern who started the season the year or so before. So that told us, you know, we, we had a good core in that squad. And, um, you know, bringing in people like, you know, Brian Roy, Lars Mahinen, um, obviously, you know, Stan was firing on, on, on all cylinders, you know, when Stan wanted to do it. Um, and then when you had, you know, like I say, the other players who came in, you know, and we had, we had a, we always had a, like a, a good back unit, you know, with Piercy, you know, Chettle, Coops, Des Little when he uh, was there as well, you know. So we, we were at a strong side, you know, Mark Crossley and goal. Um, we had good players. You know, there's no no doubt about it. We had good players, we had good squads, we had a good management side. You know, we enjoyed ourselves. We, you know, we were well looked after, and um, you know that all gels. You know, I, I go back to the time when we won the cup final in '87. It, it was exactly the same there. You know, we had players who knew each other's role. We knew what to do, when to do it, why to do it, how to do it. Um, and then when we, um, you know, went out, you know, um, I'm talking about in the evening as well. You know, we went out as groups and uh, we, we did that uh, at Nottingham Forest. I think the Black Orchid took a little bit of a hammering when we used to come in. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we used to have a, a great time, you know, go out in our, our little groups, etc. As I said, you know, I, I got very friendly with Kingsley Black. We ended up sharing a, an apartment in the end uh, in West Bridgeford. Um, and so it was that togetherness. You know, we had a great togetherness and, uh, you know, socially as well. You know, we, we did go out. Um, and you know they were they were great times. I've read a story about uh, a load of you going over to a madness gig in Birmingham. Uh, but Stuart Pearce <laughs> oh, organised that, didn't he? I haven't got the dress. Still. <laughs> <laughs> so are yeah. you uh, Colin Cooper and was it Ian Wone? Oh yeah, yeah. I was at the end of the day, you know, Pearce said like, you know, we're going to go over to Birmingham. Uh, we'll, you know, I, I know Suggs, and we'll, we'll go and stop in, and, you know, see him afterwards, etc. So we thought, well, it would be a good idea. We've seen some of the madness, like you know, videos and all that, and we thought it might be a good idea to to put dresses on. Um, and so, as you say, like you know, we put some dresses on, but then all of a sudden, like you know, we went to the concert, and as we came out of the concert, um, unfortunately, Piercy, uh, well, Suggs, they they didn't come backstage, and we weren't able to go backstage with them. And like, you know, we were sweating because we were dancing and going and doing all these bits and pieces. And then as we came out of the, um, the arena, it was snowing. Jesus Christ, that was possibly the coldest I've ever been. Never worn a dress like that. <laughs> but um, no, we, we, we got onto, the, uh, onto the, uh, the coach and I think we took our dresses off and we tried, tried to put them on the heaters because I think we we're off to the Black Orchid after that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in 95-96, obviously Forrest qualified for the, the UEFA Cup. What was that cup run like for you playing in it? I suppose being back in Europe and also getting the chance that you didn't get with Norwich a couple of years earlier? Well, you know, it, it didn't overly develop for me to start off with because, um, you know, I missed one or two games. Um, and, I, and I blame um, the sports scientist, Pete Edwards, for that. Because we were at the city ground one day and it was a coldish day. And he's gone, right, 
you've got a lap and then we're starting. And we're thinking, well, hold on a second, we need a proper warm-up, etc. He said, no, sometimes like fast twitch fibres and this, that, whatever, you don't need to do this, you don't need to do that. And he got a sprinting uh, in front of the main stand and ended up doing a hamstring, of which, you know, I wasn't best pleased. I know Frank definitely wasn't best pleased. Um, so part of the, you know, European run, um, I wasn't involved in it, although, you know, Frank took me, you know, away as such. And I still remember, you know, there was it was nip and tuck whether or not I was going to to play. And he said, "Well, you know, put yourself on the on the sidelines. If we need to need to use you, we'll use you." You know, when coming to the uh, the quarterfinals of um, you know playing Bayern Munich, you know, as I said to you before, you know, I lived in Holland. I never really supported a, a, a football side as such, apart from Roda JC or Kukrada. Um And the other side that I always followed was Bayern Munich. So to go down to the uh, the Olympic Stadium and play somewhere that I wanted to go, never mind playing, but also to go and visit, you know, for me was a dream come true. And uh, I think we held our own really, really well. We lost that game two one, unfortunately. Uh, Steve Chappell scoring a, a goal, a good header from the byline. All the Germans with their arms up saying it, it was out, but it wasn't. You know, it was from my free kick. Um, but it gave us a good opportunity coming back to the, the city ground to try and put them under a, a bit of pressure. But unfortunately, we conceded a little bit of a sloppy goal. Um, you know, I think Mark or you know Norm will be uh, not particularly happy with the, the goal that went in, and I think that really deflated us. Um, but when you look at um, Bayern Munich, you know Klinsmann, you know I think did he score three, four goals that night? You know, remember. unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, uh, they have Papan in there as well. Andy Bramer, Mateus. Yeah. It was an awesome, awesome, awesome team. It was like who's who of nineties football uh, playing. Yeah, you know, I, I was very fortunate. You know, um, you know, looking looking around me now in, in in the office where I am, I've actually got Andy Bramer's shirt there. I've got uh, Jurgen Klinsmann's shirt. You know, um, not from that game, but from from German internationals. Um, you know, but like you said, you know, they were they were a host of like you know household names, and uh, you know, for us to do really well over in the Olympic Stadium. Um, but unfortunately, you know, you talk about German efficiency; yeah. they were so yeah. efficient, they were superb. You know, the one thing that we um, we always turn around and say, well, that irrespective of that we were was it five down, Steve Stone went and scored a goal, and the yeah. crowd went mad. Yeah, you know, it was, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and even, that, that, even, was, that was great. But yeah, it I also showed that we never gave in. No, I think I think the scoreline was harsh on us as well that night because we had our chances and they were just amazing at finishing them. And the crowd, you mentioned the crowd. It was people saying the atmosphere is electric. It was actually electric. I could you could sort of feel the sparks in the air that night. It is a such a memorable night, even even though we lost. It was it's still one that lives in the memory and it's still a happy happy one for us. Yeah, it is. You know, at the end of the day, hindsight's always a wonderful thing and you don't like to get beat. But, you know, we got beaten by a side who were so, so good. Um, you know, great players, great manager, you know, and uh, if you take your chances, that's what happens. And, and they were always good at doing that. Yeah. yeah, and in the league, you finished ninth that season. And then following year, we, we got off to a bit of a, a rocky start and Frank Clark eventually ended up leaving the club after that what did something change during the summer or you know the early stages of that campaign did it did something go wrong or could you put your finger on it I don't know you know what what I can actually put the the finger on it you know at the end of the day I I left I think it was in the February um 
after this, you know, after, um, you know, I think it was Dave Bassett who came in. Um, you know, I didn't particularly get on with Dave Bassett. You know, I love Frank, you know, no, no airs and graces. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly what went on. Um, but, you know, personally for myself, I had some uh, off-field issues, um, you know, which didn't particularly help things, you know, on a, on a personal note. Um, and things didn't materialise. You know, I never got on with Dave Bassett. You uh, know, he left me out on a few occasions, but that was not because of not on the forest, but that was from things that happened prior to that. Um, you know, I ended up leaving and going off to, to Huddersfield, um, you know, help them stay up from relegation. So that was, a, you know, for us, for me personally, to, to get that to happen, to save them from relegation was, a, you know, a plus for that. But I'm not quite sure how to put it on the, on the finger, you know, whether, you know, the signings that came in didn't do particularly well. You know, you, you look at people, um, was, was Salenzi in that year or was he in the year before? I can't remember. I think he was still knocking around in the squad, wasn't yeah. he? He was, you know, but you know, a couple of the signings that you know were made were not not great signings, to be honest with you. Uh, and, and sometimes when you when you get so close and you know get so far, it can have that adverse effect on on people. Um, but putting a finger on it, I'm not quite sure exactly what happened. Was it? Was I just? If so it wasn't. Was it an amicable? Um, departure from Forest, then would you say, or did you leave in a bit of a cloud? Saying um, you know, to, to, to be honest with you, you know, I didn't want to be with Dave Bassett. I didn't particularly like him, um, and uh, you know, leaving Nottingham Forest was not going to be overly great. You know, things as I said, like for me personally, were, were not particularly great off the field, and has a slight impact on on the field as well. Uh, and if things aren't going particularly well, and um, I knew that Bassett didn't want me there as well. Um, so, you know, there's a choice that, you know, as long as I got paid up with my, my wages, etc., I was going to move. But, um, you know, I was disappointed, but I was disappointed really when Frank left. Um, you know, that, that was the one. And um, I, I remember Frank coming into our, our, our bedroom when I was rooming with Stuart Pierce. You know, what can I do? What can we do about it? You know, and it was always going to be difficult. Um, you know, if players weren't on board, um, it was always going to be difficult, you know. You have one or two, one of down tools. Um, I would say possibly maybe the the foreign element of our side were maybe not up to the, the standard as it was when we wanted to, uh, you know, get the the spades and the you know and start digging out. Uh, and I think there was one or two there who didn't want to dig out, didn't want to you know muck in and you know help as such, um, you know, and not naming names, but. There was one or two there could have done a little bit more to help. Let's just say that. Yeah, I mean, just be, tell me if I if I remember this wrong, but I think after Frank left, the first game was um, Stuart Pearce in charge against Chelsea, and and didn't didn't he ask you to man mark Gianfranco Zola in that game? Have I, I completely made that? I, I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. You know, oh, I, I wouldn't know to be honest with you. You know, yeah. such a such a long time ago, but. Um, you know, if, if Piercy asked me to go and do that, why not? You know, Zola, nice little player, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he wouldn't have been the uh, the toughest one I've ever marked. Let's just oh, say that, you know, good player. You know, Gascoigne was always the one for me. You know, yeah. I didn't like playing against Gascoigne because, you know, he, proverbially he, he was just phenomenal, you know, back in his day. But, um, you know, if I was all asked to do something, you know, whoever it was, you know, I'd go and do this too. If Piercy asked me to go mark Zola, 
I possibly, possibly did. I may not have done a good job, but... No, I think <laughs> you did. We won. We won, David. Oh, that's all right, then. That's fine, then. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, must have, I must have done a good job, then. I think, I think, I think you got a, uh, a good uh, review on Match of the Day that night as well, for if, if memories. If I haven't dreamt it all and made it up, if, <laughs> I think so. Well, I, I, haven't, I haven't got a VHS uh, machine anymore. I've got, I've got loads and loads of VHS uh, you know, yeah. cassettes, which I need to get <laughs> put over, so... I'll have to do that at some stage. Yeah. And looking back on your um, your Forest career, David, what would you say is your your favourite memory? Um, being a player of the year, really. You know, from um, from players who were there. You know, Stan Collymore, Stuart Pearce, you know, Steve Stone, uh, Colin Cooper. You know, there were there were some really good players there, and and to win that accolade, you know, in that season. Uh, where Stan scored a, a shed load of goals, um, but I think my performances were quite decent, uh, well appreciated by everyone involved at Nottingham Forest, you know, on and off the pitch, uh, and to win that award with so many quality players, you know, in that squad, you know, for me was a, a great achievement, you know, and, and that's one thing that I'll always remember. Yeah, and. I think if you speak to most Forest fans, they'll appreciate the job that you did in that team, and and we certainly do. And provided us with so many great memories of that that period under Frank Clark. So, David, thank you very much for for joining us. It's been brilliant talking to you about your Forest career, and uh, we appreciate you giving up your time for us. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. It's always nice to uh, to try and give back a little bit, uh, you know, to, to people that, uh, that have come and supported us for, for many, many years. I'm sure that as soon as the city ground is open up again, you know, you guys will be back there, you know, and hopefully, and, you know, I have an opportunity to, to come back as well, and, and hopefully we'll meet one day, and uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll reminisce a bit more over a glass of wine or so. Podcast Network.